Hey, what do you think about that, Mark? It's a lovely piece of music, John. What yeah, is it? it's the invention number eight in F by Bach. It was from uh, one of the first classical albums I recorded for EMI for use on the broadcast industry. That's really nice. It's a bit relaxing, isn't it? It gives us this nice feel, which is separate from what we get with <laughs> Cheshire Matters. I think it's a bit too relaxing, so if I fall asleep, will you give me a nudge? <laughs> I will, without a shadow of a doubt. I'll leave that running in the background as we're we're going to be talking. Excellent. Go ahead. So this is part two of our special on the music industry. Yep. I think in, in part one, you touched on how you developed as a musician. Now you became a top, top pianist. And how your music is distributed to how many? Was it 90 countries? 90 countries now, yeah. That's, That's a lot right. of countries, mate. Yeah, well, the, the spread has come from the the publishers really in that respect but initially i say that from the publishers but the truth of the matter is is that now everything that you do when you put it out is accessible by the world that's brilliant isn't it that's no, so what i was going to say so for part two i think maybe if you'd like to tell me and the listeners i'm sure they'd like to know just how your music is distributed and how it actually earns you a living Okay, well, originally, I actually approached the publishers and I approached companies like KPM, Chapel, and uh, a couple of others. And I, I actually said to him, look, I've got this idea for albums to put out on the broadcast market. Now, when you talk about broadcast albums, they're not commercial albums as such, but they are treated and recorded as a commercial album mm-hmm. and that's the that's the truth that's the way that they are actually dealt with so for example you know the the music that you were hearing on the last podcast i actually recorded in a mansion in surrey and it, yeah I know, I know it had everything <laughs> And, you know, I mean, they had a swimming pool, they had this, that, and the other, they had a chef on call. And basically, at the time when I recorded it, Jeanette was, we've just had our first baby, Jennifer. Now, Jennifer's now 22, and you sit back and you just go, wow. But that music from then is still earning on the broadcast market because it was well recorded as it is and uh, you know they were encouraging me to actually stay longer because it was a bit of a jolly for all the rest of them you know going out to this place with a lovely swimming pool tennis court and a chef and all the rest of the stuff and me i just wanted to get the job done and get away that was it and they want they did everything they could to encourage me to you know take it easy and relax and do the stuff on uh, Basically, I just went in, got the job done, and then came away, and that was it. Simple. Three days. They booked wow. the place for two weeks. I love the sound of a chef. I would have stayed for the, oh, the two weeks. <laughs> that I, you know, tell you, I tell you. But they booked a chef to come in and do the food and everything like that. So that's oh. what I mean about when they actually treat it like a commercial um, album, you know, in that respect. And... When you actually record these stuff, you record lots of different versions of the piece. And the trick that I actually got by was that when I recorded the works, 
I made them sound natural, even though they were in small segments. Right. So normally the pieces, when you listen to classical works, they were just like edited and that was it. And wherever they finished, they finished, you know, so if it was a 29 second commercial, 29 seconds, <clears throat> finished. And what I did was I actually created a 29 second version of the piece that, you know, worked properly. So if you listen to this now. You know, that must have caught on, John, because I hear that a lot now. And that's it. And it finished nicely. So, I mean, here's another one. Just have a listen to this. Okay. Oh, that reminds me of being in primary school. Okay, that gives you an idea. And there were always, when I, when I recorded the pieces, I specifically made sure that there were parts that the actual editors could come out so that they could actually fade out at a particular point. So, you know, that was the beauty of the, uh, the recordings that I did with them. And they sold phenomenally, and they still continue to sell because they're the ones that everybody else copied. And okay. I was one of the first ones to do it, as you just said, you know, so. Yeah. Now, when you actually go into broadcast, you have to say to yourself, well, how do I get paid? That's an important question, isn't it? Well, yeah. So yeah. you actually sit back and you just go, what is it that, how do you generate the royalties? And you have to actually know that there are different attributes to the piece of music where well, royalties are concerned. Could, you going to run through that for us? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so in fine... There you go. See, now you see that piece there finishes like that. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, the, gotta turn that down a little bit. That's getting me excited. <laughs> that gives you That's an idea of what I was like there. technically as well. <laughs> That's good. That's Mozart. I don't even think my fingers can move that fast. <laughs> <laughs> so when everybody thinks, oh God, he's cocky. This is the reason why. I'm trying to move my fingers that fast now when I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I've got quick fingers. Anyway, we're, we're talking about the income streams, okay, through royalties. That's correct, yeah. Right. There are four performing rights. Now, that is in simplicity when the music is played in public. Okay. The second is mechanical rights. That's when the music is reproduced. So, say, for example, you record it. Yeah. Yeah. And they use the recording. So that is a mechanical right. Now, synchronization, this is the one that gets everybody because they think, oh, this is mechanical because it's collected by the same mechanical society. But synchronization is when the music is actually transferred from one form to another and placed with visual images. All right. So when you actually take something from a CD and copy it to use with film in the background like we're doing now that is uh, well we're not filming but it is a synchronization right 
that's involved there. But because it's my music, I'll do what I want with it. So, you, you know, we're not going to charge ourselves, are we, Mark? No. See, I was familiar with the performance and the mechanical, but not so much that one, the synchronization. Okay. And the fourth one, and in, in simplicity, the fourth one is the printing rights. So that when you actually create manuscript out of the music, especially for arrangements or original works. All right. So you can put that up on the web and then somebody can actually go out and buy the music and recreate what you do. Now, I get a lot of inquiries for my stuff and I don't I don't actually let out my arrangements, but I'm actually doing it now. I'm building up a whole catalog of the works that I've done because people keep on asking, you know, how, you know, to do certain things and how do they recreate it? And I've seen some websites that have actually auto-generated some of my music, which they shouldn't do, but they have done. See, will, the, will the artificial intelligence put you our word? That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's exactly not. what yeah. it is. And the next thing I have to tell you is, is that you have different societies that actually collect those royalties. So in this country, uh, they have a company that I'm not a big fan of. It's the Performing mm-hmm. Rights Society. I'm sure we'll... Uh Oh yeah, there is. There is absolutely no doubt, and our lovely people at the PRS will be holding their breath as to what I'm going to say about them. I can assure you. Good. Now, the PRS, obviously, it's the performing rights, so they actually issue blanket licenses to TV networks, the UK terrestrial TV networks, for the use of music on their channels. So. Any track that is registered with the PRS for music can be used by the TV networks without the need to seek individual clearance. So there are no blanket licenses in place in other countries like the US or elsewhere. So it's only in this country. So this, you know, and especially where the BBC is concerned, it's a very important point to make when people are listening. So there are blanket licenses in place. There's a blanket license in place for ITV. So they can actually use any of that music that is registered with the PRS. Now, the strange thing about it is, is that the databases that the PRS have with all the registrations is shared throughout the whole of the world. So that's how they collect royalties from other countries. The problem is, is that you can never, as a composer, completely determine if what you're getting is absolutely correct. I can imagine it's not always correct. No, and it's a bone of contention amongst a lot of the composers that they're not able to, with ease, check whether or not they're actually getting the correct royalty rate. And a lot of the times, the they're called CMOs, right? Copyright Management Organizations, they're a law unto themselves. And it's like the Wild West out there in certain respects. Although certain organizations are completely transparent. But I'm sorry, it's not what I could actually say about the PRS, you know, in this country. They're not transparent, not in any way. And so they collect the performance royalties. Now you have another company called the MCPS, which is the Mechanical Copyright Protection Society. And they collect royalties on behalf of writers, composers, and publishers 
of a piece of music whenever it's reproduced. So that's actually the mechanical side. So if you think in old terms, you know, when a record is played, yeah? Yeah. That is a mechanical royalty because they're actually utilizing the actual record to actually listen to the music wherever they are. Now, the royalties from the PRS are called performance royalties, but the MCPS collect the mechanical royalty. And they're from downloads, streaming, and physical sales of music. So, you know when you get a you know a download on Spotify and somebody buys it, although I don't know why anybody would buy it now outright. I haven't got a clue because you've always got access to it when you subscribe to something like Spotify or Apple or what yeah, have that's you. Correct, yeah. So, but they actually have to pay a royalty on that, and then that royalty comes back and it's collected by the MCPS. So these agencies, John, who collect these royalties, do they all come under the same umbrella or are they all separate entities? They're separate entities, but they're connected because they have all the same people operating them. They might be connected, yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the third one, which is uh, one that people might not really understand, is PPL. They're a performance rights organization that deal with the collecting of the collection of royalties for the performing artists on a track. So anybody that was involved in the recording, they are actually also entitled to a royalty on their work. So the bass player, the drummer, and unless, unless they were employed on a work for hire basis, which means they give up all rights to any percentage of royalties on the recording, which PPL might be interested in. Right. So say, for instance, Baz, what do you get royalties for shaking his... Uh... Yeah, for shaking <laughs> his tambourine. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's yeah, as right. simple as that. And you, you know, when you look at it, I mean, some of the people, they argue whether or not they actually did a work for hire or not, but usually you get down to the, the bottom end of it. Sometimes they were cheated out of those royalties and it, the record company actually collects those royalties well you'd need some kind of proof of contract or something wouldn't you really? that's so, right that's right yeah. so you know in in this part i know i'm hoping that it makes it clear that there is a performance right when the music is played in public there is a mechanical right when the music is reproduced there is a synchronization right when the music is played with visual images and there are printing rights when the sheet music is sold or the lyrics are printed. Can't re you can't keep on forgetting about those lyricists because they're also entitled to their rights as well. And there are so many different ways that the industry can be manipulated. And if you're not aware of how each of these rights work and how the societies collect the royalties on each of these rights then you're in a very weak position because you are left trusting your publisher. And if mm. your publisher is not the most fastidious and dedicated of publishers, then they could be getting the money and you could be left out of pocket. Mm. And see, you I could see know. it'd be quite a hard job, wouldn't it, John, to get the, these artists the exact figure on what they're owed? Because I'm sure there's... The, the materials being played in places and it's it's being missed are they just estimating completely then you would would play 
Well, for example, right? I mean, I know that on Cheshire Matters, I'm the digital pub landlord, but you are in actual fact a landlord and you pay a royalty to PRS. That's correct, we do. Now, the truth of the matter is, you don't know where that money's going. That was going to be my next question. It, would it be possible for us to find out how that money was distributed? No. No. Absolutely no way, Jose, no way whatsoever. For example, you could play my music in your pub, which could be quite boring for the people, really, because you need a nice selection. I don't know. I've heard some of the songs they asked for, John, so... Mm. <laughs> mm. Well, if you, were to, if you were to play my music... 247365 which is 24 hours a day 365 days a year and you paid that license i wouldn't see a penny of that money i bet you wouldn't see it Lee, do you know what this um it leaves it open to let's just say a bit of a discrepancy doesn't it if you if they can't actually confirm how that's distributed then that's, is, it the, is it the same people getting all the money correct it's all yeah. the majors yeah I know, and that is the truth. Now, people will say, well, you know, why Why would you say something like that? Because you're with the majors. Yes, I am. But I'm also an independent. And I also distribute my own music around and it gets used because of the quality of it. But the fact of the matter is, is that the, the majors have full control of what's going on. And they also have full control of the copyright management organizations. So you sit back and you just go, hmm. What the heck is going on in this country? And I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to open that argument up a lot further in part three so that people can actually understand. So I'm hoping that people have understood the different rights that are involved and the money that is supposed to come in from those different rights. So if I haven't, well, then obviously you will get some comments from people and they can come back and they can say, well, we need you to explain that again. And I would be quite happy to do that for anybody that gets in touch with us, Mark. To be honest, I think what you've just said is should be sufficient. I think we've got a good grasp now of, of how you make the money. Well, I'm trying to keep how everything as I'm trying to keep everything as simple as possible and in small chunks so that it's not onerous for people to uh, try to sort of take on board. This is not a university course. This is just a, you know, some straight facts about what's going on. Because I also want to talk about in part three, the way that the, uh, you know, the politics of the music is concerned, but also to introduce regulatory authorities like the Intellectual Property Office and the Business Enterprise and Industrial Strategy Department. And yeah. to, to let people know exactly how how things are actually supposed to be regulated in this country. And I'll give a little taster, and that is this. How many members of the PRS do you think there are in this country, Mark? In this country, I would, I'm going to say a couple of hundred thousand, maybe. It is 160,000. Oh, that wasn't a bad guess, was it? No, it wasn't. That, that was, was actually a guess. You didn't tip me off. <laughs> that was really good. That was really good. Now, how many of those 160,000 earn any money? Oh, I am going to hazard a guess at about 30,000, if that. It's actually about 13,000. Oh, wow. Really that low? Yeah, it's that low. And that just proves why I said there's a massive discrepancy here, isn't there? 
There is indeed. Uh, you know, there are some things that are going on that the IPO and the government just basically turn a blind eye to. So those are certain things. That's a taster of what I want to talk about in part three. Well, this is why I'm looking forward to part three and four, and we can find out exactly why you aren't happy with the music industry. Indeed, indeed. Well, I thank you very much for the conversation again, sir. You're welcome, and sir. I look forward to the next podcast of Cheshire Matters. Indeed, I think we've got another two in this uh, special on the music industry. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll be moving on to some other specials. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Well, I look forward to it. Indeed, sir. All right. Well, take it easy. We'll speak to you soon. And you speak soon. I'll let, we'll play us out on this. Oh, it's nice, isn't it? <laughs>